listening to that Jesus podcast. Hello, everybody. We're back with the after show for the Christy Smooker episode. And Drew and I are joined today by Brenna Kipfer, my wife, and Lissel Latin. Drew's wife, that that name just rolls off the tongue, Lissel Latin. It's got some real staccato to it. It's fantastic. The only reason she married me was because of the nice alliteration. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was the only reason. <laughs> what? You weren't Twitter-pated? I thought, <laughs> I thought well, we established. There was, there was that, too, but, you know, mainly you know. the name. Gotcha. Great. Well, um... What what are you guys' thoughts about the conversation that uh, Drew and Lissell you guys had with uh, Christy Smucker? I wish I could have made it. Um, I I really enjoyed the episode there, um, but here I get to to jabber about it after the fact. So um, yeah, Lissell or Brenna, um, why don't you get this kicked off here? She started a ministry by accident, and it was what God put in her lap. It wasn't like she was out to do that, but it's what God had for her. She's willing to do it. That's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Was she was she basically reaching out to women informally just kind of because she was a Christian and then the ministry formed around that? Or, or did they move to Atlanta specifically to start a ministry? My understanding was that they moved to Atlanta initially to work with an organization that was established and then kind of moved on from that. But she had at one point started to volunteer at a, um organization, I guess, that did help single moms. And mm-hmm. that organization closed abruptly. And um, she was kind of she kind of ended up reaching out to those women alone. That's right. um, Informally. And then that is how, that's kind of how it started for her personally. Um, And that was a lot of that just happened out of her own home once the other place was closed. Cool. Yeah. I've, I've been thinking about this and I would say in a lot of ways that conversation expressed what I think the core of representing Jesus in this world is, which is finding people who are vulnerable, people who are struggling, loving them, and helping them. And I've been kind of comparing and contrasting this with a lot of the Christianity in America that frustrates me and that I often rant against. Uh Uh-oh, here Um, we go political again. Yeah. Well, so for example, you can't talk about anything without it being political in 2020. So, I can. Uh, for example, just say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you're welcome to interrupt me at any point here. Um, for example, the the I think around a hundred thousand Christians that gathered recently at the National Mall during COVID to worship the Lord and spread germs because you can't worship the Lord without spreading germs. Um, led by Sean Foyt and Michael W. Smith. And (laughs) I I look at that and I I kind of get it in a way because I used to go to a lot of those big 
charismatic worship services, and I actually really enjoy them. I enjoy the music and the hype, but now is just not the time to do that. Like, there is a version of Christianity that is kind of loud and flashy like that, and then there's a version of Christianity that Christy is representing where you're um, under the radar finding people who are hurting and who have actual tangible needs and meeting those needs. And one of those, at least to me, just looks a lot more like Jesus than the other. Hmm. I don't think that either of us are going to argue with you on that. I think there's a place for contemporary Christian music concerts, but it kind of pales in comparison. You know, 100,000 people gathering to listen to Michael W. Smith. The kingdom impact of that kind of pales in in comparison to what Chrissy Smucker is doing with half a dozen ladies over a year. Well, from what you can see, you both sound a little judgy. Just saying. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that it was wise or that I would do it either, but we don't really know what God's doing with them either. So I heard I heard um, the Hillsong dude, Carl Lentz, or one of those guys, someone from Australia, <laughs> talking about Christians doing that. And he said, yeah, God could actually be moving in spite of their poor choices and drawing people to himself. So, so sure. perhaps there are some people at the National Mall who are genuinely worshiping God in spite of their poor decision. Oh, what I'm well, trying to do I'm is... I'm sure what, they what, were. I'm sure most <laughs> of them were. Okay, sure. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know how to, to put any quantifiers on that. All I'm saying is, is there's a, a version of Christianity that is not representing the way of Jesus well to the non-believing watching world. Even like say, even if COVID isn't a big deal, which it is, but if it wasn't (laughs) and the media was just hyping it up and no one is going to get sick or die because of them, them meeting, even if that were the case, is this really the way we want to represent Jesus right now? Is this really the testimony we want to leave? And that's what I'm frustrated with like if i honestly think if christians were doing the types of things that christy was doing we would not have the backlash in the west against christianity right now like sure there would be some things that they would have hang-ups about like our view of sexuality or our, our view about the exclusivity of jesus as a way of salvation so there's there are stumbling blocks to the gospel but let's not like add to them. And if we were doing what the early church did, what Christie did in caring for the poor, like the Romans said, you care for our poor better than we do. And if, if we were doing that sort of thing, the hard pill of the actual stumbling blocks, the biblical stumbling blocks to the gospel would be a lot more easily swallowed, I believe, if we were living in that way. Sure. Another thing that... that stuck out to me is, is something that my pastor has um, talked to me about and as we've had conversations about the racial unrest and that sort of thing that's the importance of relationships so he, he was a farmer way out in the country and he moved to inner city Charlottesville um, to a low-income community and is building relationships with young men there and um, he's, he, he told me he believes the only way some of these patterns of injustice and poverty can be broken is if there's genuine mentoring and relationships happening. And I think that's something Christy talked about and that she's doing really well as well. Um, I think that's, that's so true. Like there's just not great examples in a lot of those communities. And if Christians were not just living out on the suburbs, but were actually like 
with the people who need us, um, I think those relationships would be there and there'd be a lot better results. Yeah, I liked how she wasn't just, she was also talking about that they do address the problems with like some of the moms, but so many times, I think in general, even with like the pro-life movement, they might like to just address the the issue um, of abortions, but they're not wanting to do long-term help with, you know, the moms are taking care of the kids afterward and um, helping them get on their feet better. And I, I really liked how she's looking at ways to help these moms long-term to really get on their feet, make good decisions for their kids so that they do have a better chance at life there, um, have an opportunity to thrive more as statistically, yeah, the rates go up with, you know, kids not having um, parents that are really involved in their lives, uh, like the crime rate she was saying and the teen pregnancies and all these things that are leading up to um, abortions needing to happen or, you know, just the reason that they give for going to the abortion clinics. And I think if Christians more actively try and play a role in not only being pro-life, but really um, standing with the parents or if it's just a mom more in a long-term way, I think that that would show Jesus a lot more than just being like, hey, don't get an abortion, you know, and and we believe that's so wrong, but they don't really want to invest in, in after that. I think that with any sin cycle, well, I don't know how to, so, so like the whole abortion issue, it's not just about abortion. It's, it's about a vicious cycle that they feel caught in and they don't know how to get out of. And, um, there's just a lack of, you know, discipleship that, you know, the re-educating and the, the discipleship, discipleship is the word, um, that needs to happen and the close walk that needs to happen because a lot of those are pretty, you know, pretty big bondages. And also it's a change from what they even know, like yeah. the way they, the way they grew up. It's like a, it's a worldview change. Um, really in, in any of the, you know, those broken lifestyles, discipleship and community and a church family and like all those kind of things are super important when it comes to actually trying to walk with Jesus and like walk to victory. It's discipleship and in a context like that, well, in any context, it's it's dis, it's tenacious, persistent, stubborn discipleship mm-hmm. because your discipleship will fail. I mean, again, it's kind of a cliche, but Jesus, Jesus didn't have all the that great of stats for his disciples enduring, at least not in the three years he walked on the earth. And in our limited experience, you know, if you're dealing with somebody with a with a history of substance abuse, for example, that is a really tough thing to to Bible study somebody's way out of. And, mm. and I think we all know that it's more than Bible studying your mm-hmm. way out of it. It's it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's taking really decisive measures away from the patterns. But you can't, you know, unless you're going to transplant somebody into you know, a Christian ghetto, you can't really hope to have the person escape the pressures around them in the context that led to that um, substance abuse. So to know that uh, Christy and Mr. Christy were um, there together 
for for 10 or 15 years stubbornly persisting and reaching out that that spoke to me because I know that's not easy there aren't there aren't just tons of success stories ready to pick up off the ground mm-hmm. but it's worth it well I think one of the things that makes it worth it is that she gets in there and gets dirty with them to the point where she's it's not like she's working with these projects it's she's working with um, people and she loves them and they become her friends and it's not just yeah just projects it's a relationship that goes both ways and she's willing to risk that really willing to be friends with people and who might who might break her heart but they're her friends so have you guys had any experience with that kind of ministry or are you doing anything um with mothers or people in situations like the one she's reaching out to not quite like that not here in wisconsin although we have we have friends in our church that are pretty heavily involved, or a friend in our church that's pretty heavily involved in a similar ministry. Actually, a com- couple of them have been more yeah. or less over the years, but we actually haven't gotten terribly involved in that. We send financial support to a ministry. Does that count? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all, there's always that. Yeah, I'm just asking because like, if, if people are listening and we're inspired, um, I wonder what we can tell them as far as how to get involved be- besides, like you said, donate to Christie's ministry. Um, what what do you guys think about pregnancy centers? Because there's a lot of those, and and people can go and, and find their local pregnancy center and volunteer there. I know a lady from our church does that. Um, I <laughs> I heard recently on a podcast that I enjoy someone kind of bashing a, a pregnancy center as like a bait and switch type of thing, where someone yeah. went in and thought they were going to offer an abortion, and instead they gave them an ultrasound and sent them out, and <laughs> they made it sound like this really horrible scam basically. Um, so I, I don't know, but I mean, any pro-choice person is going to be antagonistic toward a pregnancy center, of course. But what do you guys think about that? There really is an interesting history around uh, pregnancy centers. They, they used to be called in the 90s crisis pregnancy centers, and it was very much motivated by keeping these babies out of the hands of abortionists. And they they recognize crisis pregnancy center as kind of putting a label on the mother and the baby before the child's even born. And so they changed it to pregnancy resource center. And now even that, I think, is a little bit passe in some circles where they're looking for rather than just like, oh, don't have an abortion. We'll do whatever it takes to keep you from having an abortion. They're saying we want to provide holistic services to any mom that's seeking to um that has a baby to any mom and we're going to provide resources whether you're a quote-unquote crisis pregnancy or whether this is your third child or whatever and that's what i think we see with our pregnancy center i don't even think the word pregnancy isn't it's a they totally changed the name well the one in hayward they they changed it to uh what is it new life yeah center something like that so i think it's great (laughs) sorry for the history lesson i think it's a great thing and i think it's an even better thing when we take a more holistic approach, caring for the whole person, not just their uterus and what's inside. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes wonder, like, what would happen if all of the money that's put into the pro-life political lobby would be used for things like pregnancy centers. But then I also think, you know, there are a lot of pregnancy centers. I mean, there's a lot of genuine good work going on. Um but yeah, just just kind of comparing, you know, the fight to overturn Roe v. Wade with with what 
Christy and the mom community are doing. Even when I begin this conversation, and you'll probably differ with me a little bit here, but I I never think that there is room for Christians to um, attempt to coerce morality. And so the fight to um, criminalize abortion is, is really a way to violently, or at least with the threat of violence, coerce our morality that we believe a fetus is a, a living person, which I, of course it is a living person, but like I don't think that coercion is the way to do that. So I think the fight to overturn Roe v. Wade is, is wrong-headed just from the get-go. Um, but even if like like you would figure out some way to get around my airtight logic there, which I think <laughs> you do, Drew, but we won't get into that hand. right now. No, I'm not going to let you do that. We're not going to. We'll have the voting debate later. Maybe we'll release a voting episode right on election day. <laughs> well, it, it ties in. But anyways, even if even if what I just said is is wrong headed, the the fight to overturn Roe v. Wade has been enormously unsuccessful. So I'm I'm quoting here a little bit from a, a Twitter thread by Sky Jatani, and he made a couple of points. First of all, before 1821, abortion was legal everywhere. And right before Roe v. Wade, it was legal in 20 states. So that kind of dispels some of our notions about, like, pure America up until Roe v. Wade. Um, But even if Roe v. Wade were overturned, all that would do is make so that the government can no longer force a state not to make abortion um, illegal or or, or tell states that they cannot um, make abortion illegal. I think that's what I just said. But anyways... Um, so it only affects states' rights. So if, if, if it were overturned, we would still have quite a few liberal states who would be uh, allowing abortion. And that's such a big decision in a woman's life. She'd probably just cross state lines and get an abortion in one of those states, right? Um, no, and and many experts, maybe, um, some, some people would, you know, obviously having an abortion clinic right on their street. It yeah. definitely affects your decision, but you would. The point is, like, still there would be a lot of of state line crossing happening, and many experts don't even think that overturning Roe v. Wade would lower the abortion rate. Um, for example, before Roe v. Wade was passed, the abortion rate was higher than it is now. So things like um, how we invest in low wealth communities affects the abortion rate seemingly more than whether or not it's illegal. And I've often like compared this with, you know, Nazi Germany. So obviously the Holocaust was a horrible thing, and like, but it's not an apples to apples comparison because an abortion is something a woman can perform on herself relatively privately, whereas killing a Jew is not right. And and so because of that, like abortions will continue happening even if it's even if it's made illegal, and. Most of the Supreme Court justices that have been um, uh, placed into the Supreme Court by the president have been d- placed there by Republicans. All of them except for one has been in favor of keeping Roe v. Wade. So like, this is a battle Christians have been fighting for like 40 or 50 years, and it just is has not been effective. Um, yeah, so there's my little rant on the futility of, of that fight. And um, once again, trying to highlight the importance of doing the sort of thing that Christy is doing. Yeah, you won't get any disagreement from me on the futility or the failure, I should say, of what we've done in the past. Maybe futility is too strong from my perspective, but it's obviously been a failure. 
and there could have been much better things to have invested kingdom resources in. Um, I still think in principle that the government is ordained of God to keep people from murdering other people. And I'm surprised that you would disagree with that, but well, not really surprised, but (laughs) don't disagree with that. But it all comes (laughs) down to how we define terms like put into place by God and what that means. Yeah. Because so is Nebuchadnezzar, right? (laughs) Hey, God liked Nebuchadnezzar. It's true. Um, So was uh, Assyria when they attacked Israel, and then God went and punished Assyria, proving that Assyria was doing something sinful. But we're getting off topic here a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Always around that doing the sorts of things that Christy Smucker is doing has a far more profound kingdom impact than lobbying in front of the state capitol. Um, I I did want to also address some pro-choice arguments because I think we can, or at least I can come across as highly critical of American Christianity. And there's an understatement. I could come across as highly critical. (laughs) (laughs) Understatement of the century. So I also want to criticize the, the evil ideology that is the pro-choice movement, um, and, and and so there's there's a couple ways of looking at this. Like you can look at it from a philosophical perspective that you know a, a level of development and dependency and location does not affect whether someone is a human being or not. So just because you're not fully developed, um, you know, my newborn's not fully developed, just because you're fully dependent on the mother. My newborn is fully dependent on on his mother. They are fully dependent on their mother. Um, And the geographic location of of being inside the mother's womb does not affect whether you're a human or not. So if you just look at it like from that perspective, it it seems inconceivable that someone would think that a fetus is not alive. And so like, and also according to like scientific definitions of the terms about like what a human is and what is biologically alive um, I, I think that uh, in the last couple decades, the consensus has kind of changed on that to say that, you know, the fetus is a human and it is alive, right? Um, now, having said that, I have a little bit of cognitive dissonance about this because if, if I truly believe that life begins at conception, um, there's a little, a little thought experiment that I put myself through. If I was in a burning building and there was a vial of 100 zygotes, that were artificially produced, and I could rescue them, or I could rescue a two-year-old, which would I rescue? You have to kind of be a monster to say you wouldn't rescue the two-year-old, right? Um, So at one level, I, I think all of us acknowledge that personhood does develop throughout a pregnancy. Um, I, I would I would say that. Now, that so doesn't Titus, mean when- that... When was the last time you were in that situation? <laughs> Never. This sounds like this sounds just like what the just war people I, try to. I, I have tell some me cognitive when. dissonance with people who come up with ridiculous. Um, well, I'm scenarios. used to it. I'm used to it because I debate just war people and they love ridiculous hypothetical but, situations. And, and so do so do most of our Mennonite friends. You know, if somebody broke into your house, blah blah blah, like. And not to be callous or anything, but like, let's deal with reality. I mean, you're, I feel like you're kind of undermining Christie's whole message. No, all, all I'm saying <laughs> is that, like, I, I'm. I, this is just. It, it's actually not practical. I agree. It's just. It's a philosophical thought experiment to to say that 
that there is there is some nuance to the whole discussion. You know, pro-choice people aren't just like evil monsters trying to kill people. Like there are, the, there is some messiness to that. And that so what I was saying is that I do think personhood develops throughout pregnancy. However, I do think we should protect this baby from conception um, onward. But but even more importantly to this discussion than ridiculous hypothetical situations is like the first century Jewish view of abortion like what they would have viewed it as, uh, as whether it's permissible or not in the time of Jesus. Are you familiar with, with their views then? I'm not. So I heard, and don't quote me on this, but I heard that they did not view a fetus as a living human until it was born. And I have no citation for that, and that could be completely wrong. But if that's true, that's kind of alarming. They didn't ask the women then. Who didn't ask the women? The first century Jewish rabbis. The Shocker. first, yeah. Yeah, I guess they're a little patriarchal. Um, <laughs> a little. <laughs> so that's one thing that that kind of challenges the my position. The other one would be like, I, I get, I I tend to think that the Bible verses used as proof texts for the pro life position are fairly silly. So, for example, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. While well, he also knew us before the foundations of the earth, right? Um, I knit you together in my mother's womb. Well, technically, he knit everything together, right? So I don't honestly think that besides love your neighbor, you can really come up with any great proof text for the pro-life position. But love your neighbor should get you there. So hey, those are my I, rambling I'm thoughts so on, on that. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> we should ask the, the ladies who have actually had babies inside of them. Does the, does the idea of the Lord, of God knitting babies together in your womb, does that do something for you? Does that resonate with you? Well, it gives me personally, like if, like. <laughs> what are you confused about? I don't agree with your idea that. Dismissal. My bashing of the proof texting. Like, uh, yeah, that just <laughs> doesn't work for me. <laughs> well, I, I sincerely think that, you know, killing a fetus is killing a living human. Like, I'm staunchly pro-life in that sense. I'm just saying I don't think that the proof texts that people use for that are viable. Um, because God n- technically knits every living organism, yes, whether human exactly. or not, together. God knit it together. It's sacred. I don't care what it is. So did God knit together a tree? I guess not in the same sense. So you're that's a good point. Um, the other one though, I think is, is nilch because nilch isn't even a word, but nil, uh, whatever, because God knew us. The the other verse that I referenced before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Well, technically before he formed you in the womb was before conception probably. And he also knew us before the foundations of the earth. So I I at least don't think that one should be. No, that one is especially good. Okay. Like if you're one of the population that God knew and was planning on. Um, that gives you intrinsic value. Doesn't that value. give you intrinsic value? And if it gives you intrinsic value, doesn't it give the unborn babies intrinsic value? Yeah, I. But but the argue the the debate is whether a fetus is living at conception or at birth, not whether human beings as a category are foreknown by God and therefore valuable. I, so you're that make saying sense, the distinction that I'm making? they're not human beings because they're... No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is not a proof text that they're human beings at conception. Yeah, I think you're missing the forest for the trees. Just because God also knows 
knows the saints um, from the foundations of the world doesn't mean that 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 God knowing humans before they were formed in their mother's womb that doesn't render that irrelevant. Okay, um, <laughs> and and for I, me, I agree. It doesn't make it irrelevant, but but knowing someone before or or yeah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you isn't talking about like the period of time between conception and birth, which is what's relevant to this discussion. No, it's not because what gives a human being value is that God planned, or part of what gives a human value is that they're God planned for them. God put them there. God plans was for a baby to be knit. Be, be formed in its mother's <laughs> womb. I also feel like you're missing the the other half of the verse. Yes, he knew, but then he says, "Lord, you formed me in my mother's womb." And so from a pro-life anti-abortion perspective, if I believe that God is forming a baby in its mother's womb, then that Wherever life begins, wherever the personhood begins, that process of God forming a baby should not be interrupted. Okay. Um, this is getting <laughs> kind of graphic, but <laughs> does God form the sperm and the egg, and should that be interrupted? Does God form the sperm? In other words, is, contraceptive, is contraception as bad as abortion? According to your argument, isn't it? An egg and a sperm do not have personality apart from... Personhood. Personhood or personality <laughs> apart from each other. Yeah. It's sort of At like... That's begging the it's, question. It's, it's, like, it's like what God has joined together, not lo- let not man put asunder. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, that one might be taken out of context. Way out of context. I've never heard that verse used in this context, but that is great. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be direct revelation from the spirit right there. <laughs> Brenna, help us. Yeah, I'm not I I really don't want to get hung up on debating this. It's uh, really not the late. point of this after show, but it has been a nice little <laughs> rabbit trail. <laughs> I want to talk or I want to hear you guys talk about the the part that we didn't get in the podcast itself about mentoring. That was really important to Christy. You can go watch it, look at it on our YouTube channel. But it was really important to Christy, she said, to have a mentor. Do you, do either Mr. and Mrs. Kipfer have mentors? Um, I currently am in search for one. <laughs> <laughs> Drew and Lissel, will you be our mentors? <laughs> That's no. what I... <laughs> no. No. Sorry. That is not what the Lord has joined together. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get my own first. For for a good thirty years before I'm ready. They to be seem hard to come by. <laughs> yeah, they are really hard to come by. The people who are qualified to be mentors are generally so busy they don't have time to mentor people. Unfortunately, she talked is about what that. I found. Because yeah, that probably isn't true. See, I found it a lot easier when I was younger to find mentors. Like when I was a teenager, especially at Bible school and that sort of thing, I kind of had an abundance of them. But now it's a lot more difficult. I wonder why. Is it because you're more of a jerk than you were back then or because you've just... No, I've always been a jerk. <laughs> no, it's because he's in a different... Um, yeah. It's it's the in- interesting, the, the church demographic we find ourselves in, in a sense. Hmm. When you were at Bible school, hmm. you had a built-in community that could mentor you. And you've kind of taken some steps away from that 
your days as a as a beachy boy at a Bible school, haven't you? Yeah, and that, and that probably is part of it. Um, I I honestly think that I I wish churches had almost a more formal model of mentorship and discipleship to where you made sure everyone is matched up with mm-hmm. a, a mentor. Yeah, they've or a tried disciple. that here. That didn't work very well all the time. One of the problems, if you don't have a really healthy church environment and healthy church leadership, it can become, um, I want to use the word vaguely predatory, but that's too strong. It, it gives too much power to a person. And this is one of the problems I have because I'm like, well, I'd love to learn from you, but to put myself under another person as my mentor kind of freaks me out because I have been burned before. I have had mentors in the past and um, have also had to work through unmentoring myself from what I learned. Yeah. So for me, I think it is kind of a scary thing, but it's also something I need. Well, the other thing that can happen, though, is if a church it's <coughs> a, if a church congregation says, oh, we're going to do a mentorship pro- program, whoever decides to put exactly. person A with person B and person B with person C with little regard for personality clashes and that's just a recipe for um people to say i don't want to mentor ever again in my life that's what i know of mentorship yeah i feel like people could be qualified but then like do you actually work well together where you actually feel comfortable talking about deeper things or i don't know yeah that just seems to be like hard to to find someone that you can actually feel at peace with to share and know that, you know, they're going to really invest in you and you can actually feel comfortable with them. All the little other aspects of it are kind of hard to piece together when searching out (laughs) for a mentor. The flip side is that if I am going to reach out to somebody to mentor me, I do have to be willing to do something that's really hard for us Americans which is to be willing to learn from somebody that I might not always agree with and be willing to learn from somebody that might rub me the wrong way sometimes and maybe even give up some of my idea that I I know what's right and I'm going to do it to defer to another person, which is, I mean, that's a biblical concept to submit to others in the body of Christ, but uh, it rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Do you think you're prospective mentor should be someone local or do you think someone out of state you know over the phone would work as well because i know quite a few guys who i would i could really trust and i could probably find someone out of state to like have a bi-weekly phone call or a weekly phone call with um a lot easier than someone Mm -hmm. local for sure i think it could work but for somebody like me it's you know it's easy to kind of bamboozle somebody or to psych yourself up to to not being honest when you're on the phone with somebody not intentionally but just you know oh i got through that phone call and i feel good but you're not really presenting yourself honestly so there has to be a commitment to honesty and long distance can sometimes not help with the honesty factor what do you think Lessel? I think it can totally depend on your personality and the circumstances you find yourself in. Like Christy's mentor is a long distance person, um, and that works for her. I think some people are going to do better over the phone, and some people are going to do better face to face. And you just need to be honest with your personality and what you have available. Back at you guys, though. One of the things about like it's hard for me. I'm here in a small community serving as a pastor 
it sometimes is tough for me to just feel like I can be totally open because if I'm open and honest about some of my struggles, and here we go on a podcast doing it, um, <laughs> but if I'm open and honest about what I'm struggling with and I'm seeking input, that could actually destabilize our community. Is that a legitimate mm-hmm. concern or do we just need to like let it all hang out and people can see who we really are? I don't know. I'm not here to counsel a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> chicken well for me like when our pastors are open and honest about certain things that they're going through it does make me feel like i don't know like okay they're really going through stuff too they also need people in their lives to build them up they're not like holier than thou or anything and it kind of brings them on a level of um i guess just understanding more that there are things in life that everyone deals with and Mm -hmm. they're kind of like bringing it out and being like, Hey, we're there too. And we need help too. And we seek counsel from other people as well. And that kind of, I think it makes it more like a real church in a way. Like whenever anyone comes out and shares, even like in the, body in general that they're struggling with something and the rest of the body of Christ can come together and pray for them and um, encourage them to me that seems more like what Jesus would want Mm -hmm. I don't know are your pastors Brenna are they are they reaching out to people in the congregation the quote-unquote lay people gag are they reaching out to the lay people in the church for that accountability and sharing and mentoring mutual discipleship or are they going to somebody else outside the Um, church? Well, actually our pastor just mentioned that they, he and his wife um, have their mentors that they travel to Mm -hmm. and they go like for a weekend or whatever. And just, I think they kind of share what's going on in their hearts and, you know, even in their marriage and in the church and these mentors help them. So I'm, yeah, I don't think that it's necessarily they're outsourcing in the it. congregation. It is out outside, but they do they do share with us like, hey, we need this too in our lives, and gotcha. we need help, and we're not perfect people, and um, and I I mean they might like because we have I guess three pastors, and they might in general also share with each other and hold each other accountable in ways. But I think for the most part, they probably seek mentors outside of the church. Mm-hmm. I am thinking though, if one of my pastors came to me and said, Hey, look, I'm struggling in this area. Um, do you have any advice for me or could you pray for me? Like I would actually feel very honored by that. And I think your people would too, because it's like, wow, the pastor came to me for spiritual help. And, um, so yeah, I don't think it would destabilize the church. I think if if you're honest about your struggles and it destabilizes the church, then maybe those are things that should have <laughs> came out cuz you know. Sure. Um if that makes sense. Like I don't I'm not a fan of the ch- of, of church leaders who um you feel like they need to present like some front in order to keep stability in the church that that to me just like without thinking of it too hard and without being a pastor sounds like kind of a recipe for disaster yep i don't think you're wrong it just seems to be like a power in the body of christ holding each other accountable being there for one another a shoulder to lean on um 
and building each other up in Christ and just being open with each other that really creates like a glue within mm-hmm. the the people in general and I've noticed like great growth in our church when that happens and when people start keeping things to themselves and not really um, having that fellowship that yeah things seem to go downhill and doesn't seem like God's really moving. And I mean, that can even be in, in keeping each other accountable in what we do with our lives and like how we reach out to like the communities around us, how we help hurting moms or, you know, whatever it could go, you know, holding each other accountable with our personal lives as well as like, what are we doing to reach the lost? And, you know, that's, that can be really hard for some people to do and I feel like yeah if we're honest about like I'm uncomfortable about this and it's difficult for me to step out in this area or I'm struggling in this area if we're really the body of Christ coming together and helping one another um I think that we would grow so much more and really look like Jesus to the world as well Hmm. well said thank you for your wisdom sister (laughs) Selah everybody meditate on what my wife just shared (laughs) well thank you ladies for joining us and thank you everyone for tuning in Um, make sure to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this pod and share it with your friends that helps us out a lot and we'll see you next time